This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by seven awesome people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Kurt Magnuski, and Michael Fritschi. Thank you all for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I have with me Christopher Ernst. Hey everybody. And Jeremy Vaney. Aloha. All the way from Hawaii. That's right. Were you near any of that devastation that happened out there? Um, that was some, there was some devastation on this island, but it was actually the other side of the island and not very populated. But no, that was on Maui, which is a different island. Um, yeah. But I had, funny enough, two friends who just happened to be vacationing there, and I had to sort of rescue them from it. Oh, so wow. That was interesting. All right. Well, uh, so interesting that I'm not going to tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd leave a cliffhanger. It's interesting, everyone. Good night. Did, 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 did you fly over there in your Superman suit and rescue them? No, but through the powers of being mysterious, uh, even though there was no way to communicate with them, I was able to communicate with them. <laughs> Let's just keep it vague and okay. uh, get them a plane ticket and uh, get them out of there. Ah, okay. I see. All right, so I've been I've been listening to a lot of Paratopia since mm-hmm. you've been kind enough to put them in, in your feed for our undoing radio, and uh, I, I have questions. Oh, let's hope I have memory and then answers. <laughs> and some of this stuff we we touched on briefly on times Jeff was on the show, but I realized there was a lot more to it. And, uh, so I made a bunch of notes. I don't know how many episodes I've listened to at this point. You guys, uh, kept trying to retire. I noticed. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. It's funny what sticks, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) there's a lot of trying to retire. You're right. Especially from Jeff's part. Uh You know, Jeff would be like, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then two weeks later he's back and it's like, (laughs) okay. I, I will uh, say yeah. one of the things I noticed and now makes a lot more sense to me is when I first talked to Jeff, he, he liked this show and I had never heard Paratopia. Um, I'd never even heard of Paratopia. Uh, I found Jeff through project archivist when he was on there and just felt like a connection to his experiences and my experiences. And I'm like, I need to talk to this guy. And, uh, I think at that point he had also retired from doing this stuff. <laughs> and, uh, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh, so a lot of the conclusions we've come to on this show, you guys came to 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You and I'm just mean, like, we're just, we're just following up and coming to the same conclusions you guys made. What does that tell you? <laughs> uh, that hopefully we're on the right path. Well, there's that, but also like, you know, we're like gerbils on a wheel, you know, like yeah, there is right. no evolving. But I think at this point, a little bit of the, the, the paranormal sphere has changed. And I think it's partially because of people like Joshua Kutchin and Timothy Renner and stuff, putting out really well-selling books that take up these ideas. Oh, good. I, I, well, 
Good. Yeah, there's also, I mean, I also think there's enough, like I was one of the people that was listening to Paratopia when it was um, going on uh, in the like late, I mean, I don't remember when I first started listening to it. It wasn't immediately as you guys started, but it was one of those things that like, you know, I found through boards and chat rooms and stuff like that uh, because I was looking at weird stuff. Um, uh, but I guess my point being is that I think that uh, a show like yours or, I don't know, weird stuff for, like Brother Blue from the 90s, I feel like there's a this there's been enough time for that to almost seep into enough people or disseminate to enough people that some of those ideas start coming up because they you really are influencing them. Um, I think it's a similar thing like what you see with TV shows where there will be like a really cool indie band and everybody will love them in the late 80s. And then 15 years down the road, you start hearing songs from this indie band and the people on the same label show up in like TV shows or films or something like that. And I, so I feel like to some degree, there might it might have been enough time that it actually is, you know, there is some uh, uh, reexamining of things that uh, slipped into the thoughtosphere from what you guys were talking about. I don't know. It just occurred to me because it's been longer than I remember. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's uh, probably true. Um, it's, I guess I was just thinking of, you know, the hamster and the wheel thing because I was talking to right. other fellow podcaster, Tim Banal, the other night about how the scene has changed. Like the people, the type of people that used to annoy us back in the day are almost like sort of clownish caricatures. I mean, they always kind of were. But So mm -hmm. for instance, like if you would go to see a Stephen Greer, the people in the audience would be like the old ladies with like, uh, you know, laser pointers on their fingers type people. Right. Right. And now it seems like since 2017, like the UFO scene is taken over by militant know-it-alls. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's yes. not fun You're anymore. Right. Like I, I guess right. it was more yeah. fun back then, even though it irked us and we wanted to leave all the time. <laughs> uh, now it's even less fun. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. I guess there's a big difference between like Robert Odin and uh, I don't know the various military, you know, uh, people that work special forces that are now the the, the fronts piece of a uh, popular UFO. Even though you're still dealing with military folks, there's a certain weird flair to somebody like that. Well, and it changes know, the whole I'm... tone of the audience, doesn't it? Like if you go on right. UFO Twitter, like everyone seems to yeah. quote unquote, know what they're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's really annoying. Yeah. Well, yeah. what what are the, what are the more uh, puzzling things? I don't really, I don't even know if it's puzzling at this point. I saw some, some post on Twitter that said, uh, the government has officially announced that aliens exist and their technology is a hundred to a thousand years ahead of us. And I went, where, where did they get this from? And so I Googled it. And it was the two retired Navy guys who saw the Tic Tac video speculating that the technology could be a hundred to a thousand years ahead of us. And then somehow this got translated as the government has now disclosed aliens exist. Right. Yep. And it's like, is this person fooling themselves? Are they trying to create this narrative? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. But um, one of the things, and, and I know Jeff and I talked about this at some point, but Jeff always felt like he needed to step away from the phenomena because it messed up his life. Yep. And one night you guys were talking about it. And I think when he asked me, I gave him the same answer you gave him, which is that it's in, it's sort of part of my life. Like I can't step away from it, you know, because of the Kundalini and stuff like that. It's, it's something that just, it's, it's a part of me. It's a part of everything I do. There's no way for me to step back from it. 
Yeah. Well, and I think he knew that there was no way for him to step back from it, except he he could, I guess, whatever the intelligence is, would sort of acquiesce and and go with the flow of him stepping away, and it would sort of back off. It would sort of give him what he needed, in a sense. So he never really stepped. I mean, he stepped away publicly, maybe toward the very end he did. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he would do things. He would still, it was still there, but it was less. And it was something where, like, for instance, uh, he could put his iPhone around the corner in the hallway and click a bunch of pictures and find a really odd light, you know, that shouldn't be there because he'd seen something out of the corner of his eye and decided to do that. You know, but that would not end up, you know, spilling over into like some sort of abduction the way it might have uh, in the past, because he sort of, I guess he set boundaries on it. You know, he just sort of said, this is what I'm capable of handling at this point, And that's it. Yeah. I mean, for me, I just encourage it as much as possible. <laughs> and I it think doesn't though. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, and it doesn't always respond to that. Like I'll yeah. just go time periods where nothing weird happens at all. And it's like, okay, I mean, you're welcome. Come on. You know? Yeah. I, 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 and Tim Renner is, I mean, he's, he, his, uh, feeling that you're sort of, he wasn't said that he said he didn't agree with you that you were like cut Josh, Josh Cutchin and that you're paranormal kryptonite. But he was saying something to the effect of, like, I feel like when we were going through that walk in Gazoo's woods, uh, he would mention something. I don't think you're around because I was saying that I, you know, whenever I'm around, strange things never happen. Uh, is that he was saying there's something about, uh, you know, not being uh, afraid of it or not having that like spooky fear reaction that he feels, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, causes less of a trigger. Um, and he was applying that to me too. Uh, but right, right. I don't know. That might be it. I mean, cause I've had very few things happen when I was around Tim. I mean, we had a, a rock thrown that hit yeah. his truck one night that yeah. had no apparent cause. Um, yeah. and we had a weird plane thing that he caught, which sounded like a plane or a motor that just went on for way too long that I heard and he didn't, but it came out on the recording. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, those things were, you know, relatively minor little things, you know, um, versus when he goes out into the woods with other people and they have, you know, different types of experiences and stuff. I've never had that with Tim for some reason. Now, when Saxon has come here, weird stuff has happened. That makes sense. I think that from everything I've heard from Saxon from super Inframan, he, uh, you know, that's, he's one of the people that, uh, it, it comes to it. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's a particular, I mean, you have to think about it since there's no, <laughs> since we can't actually come up with a, a serious or not serious, we can't come up with a real concrete, uh, reason or mechanism. I think that the comp and, but we do have some idea or we're making this speculation that, you know, we're kind of going with assumption that consciousness has something to do with it. Well, you have more than one person there. It's going to create a different kind of paradigm or dynamic in the space, you know? Um, and that could be, be all it is. It's just, you know, two different people create a certain sort of field, uh, of consciousness that does not, uh, you know, work with it, but that doesn't mean that it's, you know, that there's that one person individually might not have something happen to them. I don't know. Well, let me ask you, you know how Jeff had that sort of depth to him and he could draw you into his story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. does Saxon have that? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think because he does. what I wonder what, what I, I'll throw this idea out to you. Um, cause I just happen to think it's true and maybe it applies here, which is, you know, Carl Jung talks about the, the persona of the depths and sort of the persona of the shallows. Let's just call it that. 
And the shallows is your everyday personality and the depths is like when you're deep contemplation and going inward and all that. And, uh, so I wonder if you have someone who tends toward the deep contemplation stuff and you bring them to your place (laughs) that has maybe a high strangeness context to it or whatever. Um, you know, you guys are in that mode and maybe you're having those conversations, but the person who needs to actually be activated to fully engage with let's call it the underworld or the paranormal or whatever is the person of the depths, which is an individual, an individual, I don't know if you want to call it process or engagement, but because you're together, you're not going to have that individual engagement. You're together, you're talking, you're communicating. And so there becomes this friction uh, between the two personas and what wants to come up through how you're approaching, you know, how you're speaking. And that sort of creates this sort of trickster element in the atmosphere of um, the betwixt and between mental states of all the people involved. That makes sense. You're welcome. That's definitely That's a valid idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what was the thing I wanted to go on from here? Uh, so, Oh, one of the things you said, one of the shows I was listening to is you said, gray Barker is the one that really sold us on aliens. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Cause now I'm thinking he's gray Barker. <laughs> Grays have been framed. Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Uh, Gray Barker was uh, pals with um, the he, uh, what's his name? They they did yeah, and they were he he was he played all the tricks on John Keel. But what was the uh, I said that he he sold us on aliens? He, that he was the one that really popularized the idea of UFOs being alien. Oh, was I right? I don't know. That's why I oh. wanted to talk about it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you <laughs> asked. Yes, that is correct. I think it was something early that Gray Barker wrote. Um, but I, I yeah we, it, yeah he wrote uh, uh they they know too much about flying saucers or they knew too much about flying saucers or something like that in the fifties. That's the book that I sort of got to know him from. Yeah. So you, I'm you, sorry. You, I, I yeah, you, you kind of threw it out there and I went, huh, I don't know Memory if he's <laughs> because I mean, where, where does the alien idea come from? Really? Like what, what, why did we associate these things in the sky with aliens? Cause we didn't pre pre a certain point. Right. Um, well, I mean, I guess Gray Barker from what I said, but I, I don't know. I, I think obviously there's a turn culturally with the industrial age, right? Like, and with forward thinking, because we didn't always used to think linearly, but we also didn't also used to like put such an emphasis on the future and what you want to be and where we're going to go. And, you know, technology sort of furthers us and we can imagine doing even more. Of course, now we can just imagine our own demise, but you know, prior to climate change, all that. You could, you know, imagine a future where science brings you to the stars and all of that. And I think like thinking that way, um, uh, you know, whatever the perpetual phenomena is that's been here, you know, like silly putty kind of starts to look like that because what else is it going to look like? That's how we think now, you know? Yeah. Hmm. The, uh, you were talking about the Bud Hopkins witnessed, uh, book that Uh whole and initially you were on board with it. And I think Hanson was the one that kind of was like, no. And then you went and looked at what Hanson was talking about. Do you remember that case? Because I don't think I've ever read that book. Like, I was always suspicious of it, so I never read it. Yes. What was was the deal? What the problems with it? Oh, God. Well, now, I mean, now it's beyond that. I mean, I've had run-ins with this woman online, the Linda Cortilli. Hmm. I mean, (laughs) the basic, well, the first problem is hypnosis, <laughs> but sure, uh, sure. according to what Hansen was pointing out, um, you know, basically the plot lines, it was the Brooklyn bridge abduction. So if people remember right. that yeah. there was a Brooklyn bridge abduction and some 
dude from the UN allegedly saw it happen and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was taken from, I can't remember the name of the book, but taken from a sci-fi book. I mean, it is the plot from an old sci-fi book. So that oh. was sort of clue number one. Um, but in terms of uh, the witnesses and all of that, none of that stuff seems to pan out. But uh, really, Carol Rainey stuck a fork in it and made it done when she did her expose on having been there at the time and seeing how, you know, for instance, I'll just give you, for instance, this Linda Cortilli. And that's, is that her real name? I can't remember if that's even, I don't feel like it is. It's something different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember it's lit. So yeah, it's a different name. Napolitano, Linda Napolitano. Napolitano. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so she calls bud Carol recounts, uh, like sort of in the night pretending to be her own cousin, Connie and oh. Bud knows it. And Bud is like, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. And then he tells Carol this essentially. Yeah. That was Linda pretending to be cousin Connie. So, but he goes a- ahead with this anyway and start, you know, and bills it as the biggest uh, abduction case of all time. You know what I mean? Like things like that, that are odd and just claims that she makes that are ridiculous. Like that. She was abducted with John Gotti. <laughs> You know, like there are people, you know, I don't know if the Vatican was involved, but it's like that level of goofiness of like being shoved in a van and clandestine stuff. Yeah. And I just want to say for, for me personally, um, being an experiencer, David Grush with the disclosure stuff, this type of clandestine cat and mouse stuff with Linda Cortilli or whatever, none of that rings true to me now anyway, because I see that the phenomenon isn't even about that. Like, that's the whole problem to me, is that this is yep. has nothing to do with that stuff. Full stop, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just, it's been, it's almost like the material uh, model, it's been forced into this material view of it. And then people run with it because that's what sells. That's what sells. Yeah. But and also that's what people want. Like it's the yeah, easiest yeah. thing to understand is the sci-fi well, alien sells. handshake. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The the episodes you did with Carol Rainey were very interesting. Uh, she did a documentary, right? Yeah, yeah. She started. I mean, I don't know if she ever released it except okay. bits and pieces online. But yeah, she had started doing a documentary. Because hmm. I'd like to see that. Yeah, um, we all would have. <laughs> but you know, like. I had always heard that you guys basically did a hit piece on, 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 uh, Bud Hopkins and, uh, Jacobs and I'm listening to your shows and you're not, that's not what you're doing at all. Right. And I, th- I thought that was a completely, I am because you were being very fair to them. Um, when you were talking about them and you, you know, you didn't attack them. You didn't, you gave, uh, did you give both of them an option to come on? Of course. Yeah. So I don't, I don't see that. Um, it was interesting when you had a, uh, someone else who was, who was uh, working with, uh, Jacobs, the kid there who Brian knew Elizabeth. Yeah. And I mean, basically the way he's the, what's the, the information he gave out sounded like maybe Jacobs was actually just being taken advantage of himself. Um, by this Elizabeth character you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I mean, he may have been saying that uh, there is something about her that seems to be, yeah, like she's all in on the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. If people don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about Emma Woods, um, who had come out and said, you know, she was being hypnotized by Jacobs, uh, and led to believe that her experiences were actually part of his alien hybrid story, which right. at that point was mainly coming from Elizabeth, who I think was somebody who was all into it. But now we had spoken or emailed, had a little mini exchange with Elizabeth um, around that time, trying to get her to oh. come on the show. And 
she basically said she didn't want to because she didn't want it to affect her family. She thought bad things would happen. You know, Jacobs would do bad things to her or something, you know, like it would affect her career or whatever. She was afraid of reprisal, essentially. And so she said, no, thanks. But she made it she made it sound as though perhaps, you know, it's not her who's this evil mastermind. It it is maybe Jacobs who's being Mm. manipulative. And at the end of the day, it is him because he's the one with these pseudo clients, right? He's the one doing the story under hypnosis. But I, that doesn't mean that I necessarily b- believe what she was telling me in those emails either. You, okay. What about the whole underwear thing? Well, I mean, you know that, that is yeah. um, about as near criminal as it gets, right? <laughs> or at least on un- completely unethical. Right. Yeah. Like some I, of it, some, some of it, you could say, well, he was delusional. He was not thinking straight, but having Emma send used underwear to him while she's under hypnosis and yeah, forget you ever did it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be well, different had he just asked her to do that. That would have been one thing, but to do it under hypnosis. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It's the weird thing of trying to figure out. And I guess I just stopped at some point because the effect is the same, whether he was so wrapped up in this, that he became delusional himself, or if he was like manipulative and knew that it was all garbage. Like either way, it doesn't matter. He's still being abusive to these people. And so that's only one, that's one facet of it. You know, one of the things that I didn't even, it wasn't on my radar as like, oh yeah, that's really awful too. Until Nancy Burns pointed it out is like, if you listen to those hypnosis sessions where he's got these people under hypnosis and he just, you know, with Emma, he's just, you know, he's like going through his day, you know, it's like he's giving away the plot to the big alien story while she's under hypnosis and just sort of talking about all of these interactions that he's having with these hybrids through IM you know, and stuff like this. And it's like, Okay, and now we're going to retrieve your memory, Emma, you know? It's like, this guy is a chatty Kathy, and then you cut to his books, and he's like, I am the most ethical. I would never front load anyone with a story, you know? It's like, uh, come on. How is, at this point, it's just a litmus test for the listener. Like, if you listen to any of that stuff, and you think it's okay, David Jacobs is a good researcher, and I'm wrong, you're a misogynist. Like, that's the conclusion (laughs) one can come to. That's really it because it is so obviously unethical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, I, you had a great one. I can't remember who else was on. Was it maybe Lee was on with uh, a woman from intruders whose name I'm blanking on. Lee Tanzan. You had someone and, else. Uh, Deb Cobble. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. I think that was the combination you had. Okay. Uh, is, does Lee still do stuff? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he does. Hmm. Um, he was, cause he was Jeff's old partner, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're the ones that did the pine bush stuff. Yes. Okay. So when she was on, uh, I think it was the uncensored version that you put up, uh, where you just let, let them kind of go. And, uh, you know, she was going off about all this stuff, but her main gripe wasn't, so, you know, even she said she didn't know she didn't hate Bud Hopkins or anything. And they did help her a bit. But then he said, you know, she said like, you know, she wrote the book about her actual experiences and no one, no one bought it. And then someone did a newspaper article when she had a book signing and the guy like outed her real name, where she worked, all this stuff. And she ended up losing her job over it. Right. And that's just like, what is that? You know, why does, why would someone do something like that? Um, well, because they don't care, but also, I mean, 
probably not thinking about it that way. Like True. who thinks they're going to write an article and then she's going to lose her job, you know? True. Yeah. Especially when she has a book out. Yeah. But how, how do the, how, how do like, are you still in contact with her or Emma Woods or anyone? Uh, yeah, I'm actually good friends with Deb Cobble. So and how, Emma. how do, how do they deal with this stuff now? Do they, uh, do they still have experiences? Yeah, well, I don't, Deb's let me think here. Deb, no. I, I think Deb would say, like, no, once she's hit, uh, I don't know if it's menopause or somewhere around there that they went away, sort of leading leading to the, uh, oh, they're only in it for the reproductive thing. But it seems to have changed for her into just, like, paranormal ghosty stuff. But that also happened to be, not coincidentally, around the time that she started doing ghost hunting stuff with a ghost hunting group. Uh So, But I don't know that she's still doing that. And so I'll ask her, but um, Hmm. I don't know. And Emma, yeah, she still says that stuff happens. And does she, is she able to separate out the stuff that really happened to her versus what was hypnotically implanted? Um... I think probably at this point, yeah. I mean, I I think it was a process for her, and it got better and better. But I think she says it's still it's still hard because it, like she has to remind herself that those memories aren't memories. I think is kind of the gist. Yeah. Hmm. I also thought it was interesting that when you uh, yes, I stopped stop doing things, I went to pull <laughs> and a YouTube video started playing. Um, so when you went to have the uh, psychologist on the talk about hypnosis, that uh, Jacobs tried to contact the guy ahead of time <laughs> right. to kind of like warn him away from you guys. Yeah. Got his name wrong. <laughs> that's my favorite part of that. He emailed him and, and, and got his name wrong. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we invited Jacobs to come on and no, no, he's not going to do that. But, uh, I guess he got wind that we were having him on and, um, yeah, wrote to him saying, um, don't go on, you know, <laughs> like there's very good reason for all of this. You know, and then um, there isn't. I mean, eventually Jacobs um, confidentially sent Jeff and I his rebuttal, which we kept confidential. But then he released it publicly and it's the same (laughs) rebuttal. So what you saw publicly is what he sent us. And that would have been what he'd sent the psychologist, which was gobbledygook. Really? So what what was the essence of that? Um, Well, it changed because when he released it on his website, Emma was like, See, if anyone's ever heard Emma Woods talk, she's all about fact, 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 fact. So she yeah. outfacted him, and then he had to change it without ever saying he was doing that. He would change according to her rebuttal to what he was saying. But uh, if I remember correctly, I think, you know, the original thing is, I don't know. It's just like, she was all into it too, man. Just believe me, you know? Like, uh, it really only ever comes down to that. I'm David Jacobs, just trust me. And it's mm. like, mm, that's not good enough, you know? Like, you, you claim to be having interactions um, with intelligent beings through I am. Uh, and <laughs> uh, no intelligent being uses I am. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the craziest thing, the whole hypnosis right. over I am. And yeah, like, yeah, you know, talk. Over I am. It's like, what? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. How, how it's do you literally hypnotize, crazy? How do you yeah. hypnotize someone over text messages? 
I don't know. I, I will say, like, if you listen to Emma's voice, if you've ever heard any interviews in the last couple of years after she released her book, she sounds different now than she did back then. Back then, everything was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she perpetually sounded to me like she was under hypnosis. So, uh, like, to, to my mind, like, she's the perfect candidate for any sort of wacky <laughs> hypnosis. But now that she's out of that, she sounds like a normal, like, happy person, which is great. Yeah. But I just yeah. wonder, maybe she was hypnotizable. Uh, under that circumstance. I don't know. Well, she was also that you, your show was the first one she ever appeared on, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and she seemed very shy and, and kind of like hesitant about talking about the stuff. Right. So, and who's now, who's the woman who brought her story out? Uh, Kim Carlsberg. Okay. Now you guys had her on <laughs> and that went well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, all things considered, it went fairly okay, <laughs> Yeah, but she's very much into the, you know, you would think the person who brings Emma Wood's story out is not going to be a diehard ETH, you know, right. uh, you know, and it would be someone not so invested in that, that paradigm. Now, do you know if she's still invested in the ETH? Yeah. I mean, you know, her, uh, yeah, Kim. Yes. I'll just answer the questions as you ask them. How about that? Yes. <laughs> I mean, cause I mean, you guys, you guys both had a polite back and forth. You obviously didn't agree, but it wasn't nasty. There was no point of anyone getting, you know, hostile to one another. No. But then there came the point where we're like, we looked into like, I think it was her. Yeah. Who did the, this deck of cards, this angel. Yes. Uh, yeah. Divination cards or something with Daryl Anka, who is the oh. voice of Bashar. Wow. Was, which okay. was her boyfriend. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, oh, okay. I see what this is. Oh, Bashar. Uh oh. So we thank you for your service where it comes to Emma, but we shall not be speaking to you anymore is kind of how that went. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's it's so weird that she would be the person to to bring the Emma Wood stuff out. Yes, that seemed but, kind of. I mean, but again, that's like how abusive it was, you know, like mentally is just like how obvious it was that I think that's to my mind that's probably a woman to woman thing, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, oh, uh, so one of the 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 shows you did at uh, when you went ghost hunting with Jeff mm -hmm. at uh, what's Mark Nesbit? Yep, at his house. Does he still do stuff? I think he does. Yeah. Okay. Was a Gettysburg tour. So you, I mean, I, we talked about this the last time you were on, I believe you had a lot of, both of you had experiences and stuff and there's one whole episode about it, I think. And then you guys touch on it at other points. But one of the things you mentioned, you said you were in the back room and you heard church bells ringing. Uh-huh. So Kundalini can, one of the, the, uh, things it can do is cause the hallucination of bells ringing. <laughs> Soraya, we've been, we've been down this road. I don't believe in your Kundalini symptoms. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I know what you're, I know it's not true. It, it is. Now you've read that somewhere. I have read that somewhere. Yes. I've never heard bells. I used to hear like, uh, like cans rattling together when this, when it started. Um, I don't anymore, but if you look at the traditional literature on Kundalini, one of the hallucinations is. Uh, the sound of bells ringing. Yeah. Okay. Well, sound sounds are, uh, and bells in particular, but sounds, uh, and usually sounds that are either like a bell or trumpet, like, or have this sort of, um, uh, what, what would be the idiophonic sound to it? I guess that is something that I have read about and heard people talk about. And this comes from, uh, Vedantic, um, uh, Hindu tradition. Well, I don't care. They're wrong. Uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm taking a firm stand against right. thousands of years of religion. Because <laughs> the reason I, I mentioned it is because you talk about your Kundalini doing weird stuff when you were out there. 
I mean, they, um, you were doing the thing in the field and everything else. So it's entirely possible that the bells could have been a ghostly apparition or they could have been something Kundalini related. I mean, cause your energy also set off the, uh, the, you were in the room meditating and you moved your hand and there's, there's a, what a breath that got caught on tape. That wasn't yours. Uh, no, the theremin went off. Is that what you're talking okay, about? That's what it is. Yes. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if I'm going to give any credence to this, it would just be maybe that because I think when in that state uh, or just in any sort of deep, quiet state, I think more of the environment is available to you, uh, meaning that paranormal totally stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so perhaps in that way, I was able to pick up stuff, you know, whatever that is. I don't, I don't know what that I don't, I don't know why church bells would be a thing, but whatever that is, maybe that's yeah. why I was able to pick that up. I don't know. I, I just thought it was interesting. That's all. Um, but I would categorize also- it differently just in terms of like one definitely is me sitting there uh, letting Kundalini do its thing. And the other is me in normal state of consciousness walking around and, mm-hmm. right. and then you hear bells or kids laughing or whatever it is. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, but think, there could be some bleed kid, over. I don't I think kids laughing is a typical, uh, Kundalini thing, but bells are, but other, I like other, how I'm, I love how I'm the one in this room who's alive <laughs> with Kundalini and you're the one telling me what these symptoms definitely are of Kundalini. Well, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Shouldn't you be asking me instead of telling me what Kundalini is? Well, we both have it. We just have very different experiences with it. I don't know. Uh, is it Kundalini or is it, again, this gets back to my perpetual question of like, because I've seen these YouTube videos, you know, of people who say similar things to what you say. And I'm still stuck with, is this Kundalini or is it something else? Or is this Kundalini in people who don't lose their sense of self, but somehow activate an energy that requires that to fully have it come on in the way that it needs to. And so they have all these other weird experiences like, you know, feeling heat or hearing bells or whatever it is. Uh, is that what it, is that what's going on? Like people I mean, are activating something underst- and don't know what they're doing in the understanding that I have of Kundalini is that it's, I mean, you're talking again, Kundalini. It's like, you're, you're talking about a, you know, a force that is at least in the way that I have been taught about it, that, uh, exists uh as the sort of central connecting figure uh along these um uh what they called um uh like intersection points yeah meridians intersection points there's a better name for it that was told to me by somebody uh you know one of the the guys that i um uh whose whose work i studied um what is it intersection points or something like that nadis Yeah, I mean, that's what they're essentially talking about. But, uh, you know, and some of them do intersect with major, you know, um, nervous system points. But that's because what essentially Kundalini functions as is that it's it's one of the things that is that spans both like the sort of semi-physical and then the astral and subtle. And it's it's the thing that is in many ways connecting what would be called the subtle body, the mental body. Some people call it diamond body. Uh, you know, to your physical body. And so there's a, a variety of different symptoms that can appear uh, depending on sort of the intensity of it, depending on, uh, you know, I've heard from like what naughty it gets or shock or whatever you want to call it, it gets stuck in. Um, so it could be everything from, you know, like the experience I had where, you know, I was, uh, was 
loss of ego, but I was someone else uh, looking at myself um, in my own body, you know, going around and doing stuff with, you know, seamless consciousness. Uh, or it could be complete ego death and you're in a, you know, uh, you're in the Akashic field or the, the oversoul, uh, paraatma, whatever you want to call it. Again, I'm using Vedic terms. Um, uh, or it could be, yeah, smells, uh, colors, uh, hearing things. Um, and it's those three senses in particular, the smells, hearing, and um, uh, seeing, seeing things, particular colors and globes of light. Um, are the things that people uh, uh, see, but it could vary uh, amongst, you know, anyone. And it depends on uh, kind of what happens with it. If somebody is able to raise that energy and it does get stuck, uh, you know, without having a somebody who knows how to work with it. And that usually would be a master, not a yogi in the sense of the American yogi, but somebody who actually is, you know, gone through a ritual practice. that's not just the asana physical poses you know uh because that's the slightest part of being a yogi it has nothing to do with really being a yogi um then that can you know you can kind of unblock it or whatever again this is just the stuff that i've been you know sort of privy to in, in my studies uh and it could differ it could be wrong too well, so any say, a variety of a variety of experiences in the same way that william james would call variety of religious experiences right so here's here's my worry in talking about it this way is one that it sounds very uh mechanical which and there is a mechanical element to it in the way that you're talking about it. But right, that's all I it think is. it's problematic to, it when we talk about it that way, if people aren't alive to it, and they then they start to want it, right? Like, then they, they start to think that there's a physical process or a subtle body process or something that you can tap into and maybe well that's get yeah powers this is the reason why occult why people uh why you know uh, uh occultists hide their ways and means um yeah you I mean you're right it isn't that simple at all it's not it's because you're talking about something that essentially can't be really spoken about it only can be experienced yeah but also like it's just funny to me um how people tend to want and i'm wondering if i was guilty of this too i must have been guilty of this at some point but um like again we just as we were talking about how we're forward thinking and thinking about the future we're also with that all you know a culture that believes heavily in evolution not just physical evolution but personal evolution and all of that and so when it comes to like even talking about the need to work on yourself to the extent that the brain understands it's got to let the self go. This self-seeking sense has to dissolve for that which it is seeking to be the case. That when we hear that, we still interpret that as, I want to evolve. I want to have those experiences as I am now, you know? Oh, you're completely and, correct. I mean, it's yeah. that's, that's yeah. true, but it's like, you know, or at least, the, you know, <laughs> you're trying to jump over yourself is what you're talking about. Kind of in, in, in this or that was a, that was what was used as sort of an analogy to me is like in many ways, you're trying to jump over yourself uh, uh, and you can't do that. You can't jump over your own self, but I, I think you're right. But you know, I guess um, unless one were to uh, really have a completely solitary sort of way of existence or practice, I think that talking about it, particularly, and again, this comes from my particular upbringing, which is not specific to either uh, uh, Hinduism or Sufism. It's a very strange sort of mix of things that I was brought up and some things that 
not anybody that's outside of you know the circle that I grew up and would know about. Um, so uh, and that they may not be right. Uh, but within all of the that space, I think that uh, I guess the way I would say it is that there has to be you have to speak about something through the intellect, or at least where I'm at the spot, I'm not nearly, um, I guess, uh, evolved or advanced or even thinking clearly enough to get beyond thinking about things intellectually. So for me, it's a stepping stone to, uh, getting to a more intuitive, uh, space where, uh, I am, I guess, moving towards, uh, ego death. And you're right. That is, but I don't, it's like, you can't, unless we were, I was to completely change my, um, cult like where i'm living what i'm doing sort of the world that i live that i i exist and move around in i think it would be hard to approach uh consciousness from that perspective of giving up the ego uh and that for me it's better to try to live in the world but maybe not be of it uh in a sense i don't know these are some skills that where I, I sort of in talking about this whole situation that were recommended for people living in the Kali Yuga. Uh, this again comes from a very Vedic uh, standpoint in terms of thinking about things, but being in the Kali Yuga phase of the cycle, if one were to believe that we are in that, that you're kind of like fighting against, uh, you know, you're fighting against the, the evolution of the universe essentially. And so, uh, rather than fighting against it and trying to sort of gain some sort of poise, again, this is just for me that one could find if they were to live a, uh, uh, existence without an ego, it's better to try to almost like surf the waves or move with the currents of the disorder that exists. Uh, and maybe that's not answering your question at all or giving a good reply to it. But uh, I guess well, that would be how I would personally respond to it. Yeah. Here's the problem with me, <laughs> which yeah. is in, in engaging this stuff, yeah. which is you're right. It has to be come at with the intellect because what else are we going to do? Right. We're using words. We're thinking. We're right. talking. We're expressing. And so if you're to be as honest as those words allow about Kundalini, the mm. honest thing is what Jiddu Krishnamurti did, I think, which is to not really ever talk about it and because you know that your audience wants to hear about it as a means to not do the work, as a means right. to imagine and to become a master of something else and go down another rabbit hole. And what needs to actually happen is the egoic death. And then if Kundalini is real, it becomes you. And right. Well, that's the, it. The and so that's death, a conversation killer, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you mean like the egoic death, though, in like an egoic death that is non-permanent, one that you come back from, or an egoic death that is permanent? Um, how permanent is the egoic death? That's a good question. I well, mean, I think you know, from speaking to a lot of people who you know have sort of people that go through this idea of the blowout nirvana, reaching you know that that there are, you know, anybody can have an ego death. If you do enough, uh, you know, yogic uh, work, meditation, there are many different sort of ways to gain that, but for it to become permanent in the same way that, you know, right now I am able to speak and I um, uh, no, but I don't have think, I think that's different. Poise, that that, because that takes lifetimes. I think what you're talking about is, is a different one is a type shadow of, of another. I think I don't no, think they're no, different. Wait. I think they're a shadow wait, wait, wait. of another. Let, yeah. let me just say this part yeah. and then you can, and they can tell me if I'm wrong. Sure. Sure. Because I think what you're talking about gets mistranslated as egoic death. It kind of is in the sense that like westernized people, not natural people, you know, who haven't 
had to build up a separate self-sense, divorce themselves from the world, and claim to be observers. But us, uh, we are brain-focused, and there is the egoic death of, quote-unquote, dying into the heart and becoming, like, properly contextualized, uh, where you are, you understand your interconnecting nature and the oneness and all of that, and that has the blissful context to it and and all of that. And it feels like the death of self, but it's a mm-hmm. recontextualization into the healthy mechanical sort of way that you should be working, but we're not currently. What the death of self is that I'm talking about mm-hmm. is when the brain, not the person listening, but the brain or the body or whatever you are, the heart or whatever, gets it, gets that the seeker is in, the, that this self-construct that greets the world is in the way, that it shuts right. it down and there's complete cessation. Now, yeah, do you come back after that? Yeah, you come back, um, but you come back, again, recontextualized as sort of a mouthpiece. So that timelessness, which is truth in the context that we're talking about it, is flowing through time, which is the body, and through the egoic self, which is a psychological construct of time, and that that is what is informing you, right? So you are the same, but you're different. You're well, I get that, but I think that if you're, I mean, if you were to talk about this to somebody who came from uh, like a Sufic or um, uh, uh, Adiveda uh, uh, Vedanta uh, background, uh, Adiveda Vedanta and Sufism actually have a lot more in common than you think. And there's, you know, this idea of the spiritual evolution that's alongside the physical evolution. And so, if you were to have somebody that were to have what you're talking about, this kind of transformation fully, they would have gone through what would be uh, considered involution, where you go through the uh, seven planes of existence and back sort of to what would be a an actual, the, what was considered the real death, not the death that we go through as we go from one sort of body to another through reincarnation. Uh, and that some of those people do, in fact, uh, you know, reincarnate as uh, um, shepherds, masters, or people that have like truly a, a, a transformation and do not have an ego as we do. But then there are people like, you know, you and me that, uh, you know, might have a, uh, and again, I don't know about your experience. I say me, me then, uh, uh, who do have an experience where it is uh, something that you do come back from and you're transformed. But you're still, I mean, you're still existing. I'm still existing as Chris Ernst in this body, in this lifetime. Um, And that, you know, that type of true ego death is something that we can't even, uh, we can't even understand because that type of existence is something that we just haven't experienced yet, uh, for me at least. So I guess that's where I see there's being a difference is I think that, you know, um, Within what you're talking about, too, it also, I don't see the brain uh, or I don't see the body as really having necessarily anything to do with it. The body's kind of like a chrysalis. And so what's happening is that, you know, what you're experiencing is just a shift in the consciousness, uh, you know, of what's going on around you. So instead of being conscious of this physical plane, you're conscious of a different sort of you know, people use a lot of different words for it. The words that I identify with, I guess, are plane of existence. Um, and so you would have that different experience and, and and really it wouldn't have anything to do with your body itself. You would be uh, um, uh, like the body wouldn't have any function or mechanical function to do with it. So again, this just might be for me a different type of or, uh, experience and background that I have to kind of inform what we're talking about. Because I don't think you're what you're talking about, it completely makes sense to me. 
I guess I, I do think that there are different, there's a different type of ego death though, that maybe I am talking about or trying to refer to that might be something more traditional. I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, I just think that all that stuff you're talking about, the Sufis and Advedanta and all, um, is garbage and throw it away. Not because it isn't true, not right. because they aren't experiencing what they're experiencing, but because I am talking about total, complete transformation, not evolution. And so this offer of spiritual evolution is a farce, and it's an it's one that's going to happen. The second truth hits the time stream, it dies, it becomes truths, it becomes like things that you can build up beliefs or discard. And so even if all the stuff you just said about seven planes and all that stuff, even if that is truth, um, you're not going to know because you're going to be stuck on this this path or this version that is a facsimile that is actually the universe keeping you here. <laughs> but how do you sense. know that? Is I guess what I'm is I guess what I'm I'm curious about. Like how you have like how do you, how do you know that that's the truth? Um, well, no. How do you know I know that's the truth? You don't. <laughs> right. How do I know? You in, don't. In terms of like, yeah, no, I don't know that. I you don't can't. know that. You can't but know that I'm not like, lying to you. In terms and you can't of posing it delusional. as like an, an alternative. Yeah, no, no. But in terms of posing it an alternative with the certainty that you have, that that's actually what's going on. What makes you certain that, that, that the, that when you are experiencing that, that's the kind of experience you're having. I'm just curious. Um, I think the difference between the universe messing with you, <laughs> the universe right. keeping you here and truth per se. Um, I guess you could say, well, one way is if there's a being or an entity or whatever that comes to you and starts talking to you about your personal evolution or about evolution period or offers you something like this, uh, that would be the something universe like speaking. what offers you something like what? Something like a spiritual path or a way to, mm. you know, I don't know what, to the fifth density or whatever it is. But offers you essentially um, something that takes time, something that keeps you in time. Um, I would say that that is, that is the, you know, the facsimile coming alive. That is some sort of archetypal thing. Well, what As if this is something truth, that somebody, which, rather which than, I mean, you're talking about someone approaching you and offering you this. What if somebody, you know, has a uh, visionary experience and this yeah. is something that then they, they, that no other entity is part of that. It's something that then they realize how, how you know, because I guess I don't, the, specific, the specificity the of an entity thing. coming, I'm not, okay. So so you think that anything that is keeping you, I guess, in believing that uh, or sort of functioning in time uh, is somehow misleading you? Yes. I think that okay. there is total transformation all at once or there is not. And the universe is an is-not place, right? It's a... It's evolving. It's time, right? Sure. Things sure. take time. And uh, yeah, uh, this is an all or nothing prop proposition in a world that doesn't particularly like those or see them as valid. It um, still seems adversarial to me, I guess. You know what I mean? Like it does. It seems like there's something there that like the reason why it functions is because you're saying like, oh, everything's garbage. Uh, but that's making a very like, you know, uh, or like that's making a very sort of blanket statement that then I guess I, I'm not quite sure where to go from there once you say that. So how do you function like you as a human being? Then don't being, go anywhere. You know, where you, where you have all this. Well, yeah, hold yeah. on. Sure. There's two things. Yeah, yeah. One is, what is great. That's perfect. Don't go anywhere. But yeah. the other is, let's face it, I'm me. So I'm going to use words like garbage. But sure, sure. Uh, but if you want to drill down into it, the thing that's garbage, it gets back to what I was saying before. Even if it's true, 
Um, it's not, it's still the facsimile. So the thing that's in the way is all of this knowledge, unfortunately, yeah. is all no, of this I guess, stuff. I, guess, is, I totally get that. I guess I'm, I'm wondering so where you're getting. that's what makes it garbage I, because it's not, I, it's in the way right. of direct I mean, experience. That is, knowledge is in the I way of direct you're, experience. You're saying the same thing. I mean, you are really are saying the same thing at the very heart. If people really understand, uh, Ayurveda Vedanta, which is that it is all garbage and that thought and knowledge, like truth is mind stopped. You know, uh, there is no truth is no, there is no ego. Like the, the mind, the mind that we all have is false. It is false. It's garbage. And you're right. All of that knowledge. So what I'm trying to parse out is that, uh, it seems to me like you are saying the exact same thing as I'm saying, and I'm 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 unsure as to where the difference is. Um, well, I didn't hear you say any of that, but if okay, if yeah. Dada is saying that, the, yeah. my point is <laughs> to, to this is that the ability to say, "Hey, Jer, what you just said is exactly what that just said, or what Buddhism said, or what Sufi said." is the thing that's in the way. The ability to analogize it and then make a decision about how you feel about it, that person is the person in the way. That's why it's I garbage. I'm totally not disagreeing with you, but then what do you do? So what do you do? So you're telling me this. What's the, you know what I mean? Like you're saying that's that the problem. that's this in the, the way. This is the whole problem. Right? Is that the, yeah. Again, this gets back to the brain. The brain itself, I mean, essentially what one has to do is sit with themselves alone and ponder this to the extent mm -hmm. that they get it so fully, not just intellectually, like, yeah, I get that. And I've read about that, but like, really like it hits them like a ton of bricks and it's not, and it hits them from outside of themselves. Like, oh, oh, that's it. Cause I mean, the thing I probably have talked about it on this show, but the thing that but happened, isn't that the thing that you said that we should be careful of if it hits you, that's just, that's, that's something to run away from what you're saying. Like either if somebody approaches you and tells no, no, you no. this, or if you commit to yourself, no? Okay. No, I, no, what I was, maybe I should have used visionary stuff as an analogy or whatever, right. but no, or, or an example. No, all I'm saying is that if the purpose of what is being told to you or that you're coming up with yourself, if the purpose is to further the self, that's the problem. If the purpose okay. is spiritual evolution as opposed to, um, you know, the uh, annihilation of self, that's the problem. But what if spiritual evolution is the path you need to use in order to get to annihilation of the self? Well, I would say that the spiritual, obviously to seek, you've got to care. <laughs> right. right like you or else you're not even listening to this conversation yeah so how so, else can you get somewhere if there's no sort of evolution you know what i mean right so you well you have to care enough to then come to the person who says or whatever to the place where you understand the annihilation of self is is it so you you've been a good little seeker that brought you here and now the seeker has to go and if you don't like that answer then you walk away and you keep seeking or finding answers or whatever and sure. um and that's it so you, do you think that there still is somebody that has to be there for you to sort of to get to the point where you are making that decision or choice because it still sounds mean? to me like you're using intellect or some sort of path to get there. And I guess the question that I have is it is just because from what you were talking about, it sounded like something that was sort of immediate. And I'm, 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 I'm just curious as how, how do you think people get to this sort of, uh, this, this point where they, where, where this happens, you know what I mean? Cause I, I agree I with you and hard. I understand I think what you're, I well, completely I understand you, what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, let me, let me tell you what happened for me. And that will yeah. be the example. Cause that's the only one I can really use. Sure, sure. Which is that I became the heart person. Uh, like I deconstructed the self and I think recontextualized and had that blissed out sort of, oh my God, this must be enlightenment thing. As I was reading these Judah Krishnamurti books, you know, and sort of deconstructing myself, 
and after a good long while of that, I was sitting on the couch reading a Tudor Krishnamurti book. What else? And I actually had this just this little epiphany because it still felt like what? Wait, why am I still if I get all of this intellectually and I'm feeling good and blissed out and the best I've ever felt in interconnecting and I understand that we're all one and all but yada yada. If that is now me and I still feel like something's missing, like why am I still reading this? And it was at that moment that I realized, oh, I'm that guy. That's what happened. I just reformed my sense of self, you know? Like, we do these subtle things to believe we're enlightened. And I did that. I, I reformed myself into that guy and didn't even realize it. Oh, now I'm that guy. And the moment I got that, like, literally, there was nothing. And from that nothing came the Kundalini, which, of course, Krishnamurti never talked about, so I wasn't really expecting that. <laughs> Uh, and the rest is history, you know, and from there we go. Um, so let me just say this, cause I just want to put in one more complication to it, which is, so that's a, what becomes of you from death of self. And then this Kundalini is like ever present. It's just there. And, you know, but then there is another thing. There is another thing that opens up in an experience of, um, you know, I had the, the big oneness. I am seeing and being the universe exploding into existence. And that didn't come about because of my own silence. That came about because it appeared, at least, as though there were invisible people in the room doing this. So I think there comes a point where, even in non-duality, there's at least the appearance of some sort of dualism doing this to you. Because you can no longer just, like, kill your sense of self or have the epiphany that does that, because you've already done it. So that's not going to work anymore. So there does become this this other sort of... Um, that happening, right? Like where, where there now are these other beings or whatever. Um, but all along the way of this, it's very easy to get caught up in, in the what's going on and try to drag yourself back, anchor yourself and be like, oh my God, I'm a master. These are guides. These are angels. These are whatever your interpretation is. Demons. I don't know. Aliens. Right. And, and be, and again, be that guy, that guy who knows that that guy who has psychic abilities and can heal people or whatever it is. And so all along the way, cause we were at, we were talking before about does the ego just like ever stay dead. And I think while we're here in, in the universe, at least, um, no, I think at all points, um, you know, yeah. like ghosts, your issues want to come back and haunt you and be you, but they can't, and you know it. So it's almost a schizophrenia that happens, not like that drastic, but there is this sense of like, oh, all of these old issues and all of these things that I kind of pseudo want to be and proclaim myself as, at the same time that they're affecting me, they're not affecting me because I can't not, I can't not know what I know now. I can't not you know, right. understand the oneness thing and understand that this is that those parts are an illusion and those parts are trying to drag me back in. Um, so there is like this weird sort of constant flux. You almost become a trickster, I think. All right. We got to take a break. <laughs> we, Sorry. We will be right back. All right. Interesting thing here. You may notice that the sound quality of the show might sound a little bit different than uh, most of the other shows. And the reason for that is I had to use the Skype recording backup of this show. The reason? Well, right in the heat of that conversation between Jeremy and Chris, the recording computer quit. It blew out its, uh, its power supply, and uh, whatever it did, it sent a charge back through the battery backup. Uh, and so partway through this conversation, you'll notice I, I don't say anything for a while. I mean, not that I had much of a chance to get a, get a word in edgewise anyway, but... Um, the recording computer is in a different room than the room I'm in. 
and I have a remote connection to it so I can make marks and stuff uh, of things I might need to edit or whatever in the future and make sure everything is recording okay. So as uh, we're doing that, they're, they're going back and forth, um, which I thought was great, except where they talked over each other a little bit. And uh, for the record, neither one was particularly upset with the other. They just got really invigorated into this conversation. Um, but the, uh, the remote connection to the other room just went dead. And it happens once in a while, and I just have to restart it. Except I couldn't restart it. It was telling me it wasn't there. So I got up, and I went into the other room, and the battery backup was screaming, which it's never done before. So I turned it off, and I turned it back on and reset it, and everything but the computer came back up. And so I had to use the Skype recording because I couldn't get that back up and running. And uh, afterwards, I put a new power supply in, and it worked fine. So maybe it was a coincidence. I mean, maybe it was going to go no matter what. But the fact that it went during a conversation about energy and kundalini and consciousness that was very heated, uh, I find that probably not just coincidental. But uh, obviously, Jeremy and I have very different views of what Kundalini is as well. Uh, his is very narrow. He has clearly not gone through the literature I have or talked to the number of people I have uh, who have also had these experiences. Uh, we did a show, just him and I, back a few months ago, talking about those differences and our disagreements on those or on that. I mean, to me, Kundalini is just a name for whatever this energy is. Uh, it's just a convenient one. It's just a convenient label, pretty much. So, all right. Um, contact info. Of course, everything can be found at wheredidtheroadgo.com. If you uh, if you want to, you can find uh, all the email addresses. If you have a story you want to share, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Um, all our social media, all that stuff is there, including our store. If you want to buy a shirt, we have designs by the late Jeff Ritzman. We got some from Tim- Timothy Renner. And probably some other stuff coming soon. So uh, check that out. And uh, recommendation. Recommendation for this week. Oh, also, before I get to the recommendation, uh, I recommend if you like heavy music, check out The Last Exit for the Lost, my music show, thelastexit.org. There's tons of archives up there. It's not like anything else uh, you will hear on the radio. And uh, I guarantee you'll find some stuff you like that you won't hear elsewhere. Plus, we talk about movies and all kinds of stuff like that as well. All right, recommendations. I'm actually going to recommend a game. Uh, I don't do that a lot. I uh, wasn't feeling good the last week, and I had bought this game for like five bucks or something on Xbox. I'm not sure if it's uh, how new it is. Um, it's called Canarium, C-O-N-A-R-I-U-M, and it's a first-person Lovecraftian horror game. It's basically like part two of uh, In the Mountains of Madness. So they go back to the Mountains of Madness, and uh, they're trying. It's a little bit of that and a little bit of a shat, of the shadow out of time where they're trying to uh, project their consciousness into other bodies. It's a really good game. The story is really interesting. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I did, I did not really expect much going in, especially considering it was like five bucks. Um, I don't, it was on sale. I don't know what the normal price is, but I don't think it's that new. I think it's an older game, but I definitely recommend it if you like Lovecraftian horror. I'm not a big fan of first-person viewpoints in games. I'd rather have third, but regardless, I I enjoyed this greatly, and I think the total playing time was maybe five hours, and so it's not a super long game, but it is quite enjoyable. So that's my recommendation for this week. 
Canarium. And now, let's continue. Looking for something to do after Halloween is over? Are you into the strange, bizarre, and unusual? On November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the Strange Realities Conference is coming back to Nashville, Tennessee and streaming online. Come join us for three days exploring mysteries, supernatural, the occult, weird history, and more. Featuring lectures, presentations, and workshops by Tim Banal, Zach Hunt, Leslin Vance, Bryn Collier, Tobias Whalen, Brent Rains, Joshua Cutchen, Kiki Dombrowski, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Christopher Ernst, Aaron Goulias, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Mallory Semwitzki, Soraya Azkath, and special guest Steve Berg as your Master of Ceremonies. Make sure to join us for the fun and informative weekend online and at SIR Nashville November 3rd and 4th and online only November 5th. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. You're listening to Where Did the Road Go? I have with me Christopher Ernst and Jeremy Vaney. And uh, Jeremy, one of the important things that I wanted to get to tonight, uh, important in in the research of UFOs and stuff, uh, you guys were talking, and I think it was a show you just did yourselves, on iron channelopathy mm-hmm. and the way iron can be isolated in the body and how some people may mistake this for implants. Yeah. And I had never heard hmm. of this. Jeff touched on it, like he just kind of blew off the the implant stuff when he's been on the show, but he never went into detail as to why. Um, By the way, for people who don't know, when we were at commercial break, Soraya completely was like, hey, you guys, shut up about the spiritual stuff. You know, we're we're talking about the UFOs. He chastised us. Yeah. Isn't that right, Chris? It's true. It's absolutely true. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just realized there was no segue, so I had to give you one. Uh, no, that didn't happen. That, that's I lie. And uh, that's one of them. No. Uh, so, well, one of the reasons that Jeff um, didn't believe in the implants or didn't pay much attention to them or care wasn't necessarily because he thought that they were all garbage, but that what people said about them <laughs> is is garbage. Here's here's me yeah. using that word garbage again. But just that, you know, the functionality of like, this is what it does. It's a tracking device or whatever to yeah. Jeff and to me, uh, I guess I sort of agree with this, um, anything like that, a mark on your body or all that is just simply something that happens to you so that you cannot deny that this is in your life and whatever interpretive spin you give to that, well, whatever the beings are, they don't care. Uh, but in terms of the, yeah, the, what was it? Channel ionopathy. Um, yeah, we yes. had Wes Owsley on, I think, who was talking about that. And yeah, I mean, essentially the idea that that people have like an amalgamation of iron that comes from meteorite and, does, you know, embedded in their skin. And where did that come from? Well, it could have come from this channel ionopathy <laughs> where, you know, some sort of I, I don't remember exactly what, but mm. let's call it a disorder where uh, iron builds up underneath your skin and then it can um uh, even have what, like sort of tendrils coming off it as your body tries to keep it assimilated within itself. But essentially it forms little balls of iron, right? Isn't, isn't that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's fascinating because it can migrate to different parts of the body too. Yeah. So it's not, yeah. oh, this thing was implanted so much as the body has created it over time. Right. And you wouldn't know you had this unless they specifically checked for this. Yeah. I mean, I just find that, I, I, I don't know, to me, that was like ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah. I mean, and of course, you always come back to Whitley Strieber's implant that supposedly moved. Uh And I think none of us want to say, oh, that didn't happen because it's Whitley. And I mean, (laughs) I want to to believe Whitley. 
Well, uh, here's the other thing. Now, so I host Dreamland once a month. So, you know, uh, and Whitley has been over to the house when we did a uh, we did a conference with him. And I don't know if I talked about this on your show or not. But like pretty much the first thing he said to, to me when he got to the house was, would you like to touch my ear? And I was like, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to touch. He's like, the implant, you can feel it. Come, you can, t- you can touch it. I was like, no, why would I want to do that? What? No, yeah. I, I refuse to touch his ear. So he's all about it. And he not only says that it moved, but he says that it's interacted with him in, in a way where he wrote a, at least one book by seeing these images or these words sort of flashing in his, I want to say left eye, but I could be wrong. Right. Yeah. No, it's like a little like sticker he talks about. I've heard him yeah. talk about that. Andre, yeah, yeah, yeah. Andre, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is there also, let's, you know, if you want to keep believing it, here's the easy way to do it, which is to realize Part of this phenomenon is the second you say something isn't real, the phenomenon tends to respond and go, are you sure? As Jeff <laughs> liked to say, and it's just true. So there's always going to be an exception that proves the rule. And maybe as far as implants go, Whitley is that exception where it's like, you can't rule them out totally. And right. frankly, the phenomenon obviously doesn't want you to rule it out totally because if Jeff was right, it wants you to make an association. If you're an experiencer uh, this is happening to me and I can't deny it. There's got to be some sort of anchor point in all of your confusion where you go, okay, I don't know exactly what's happening, but I know it's happening because this. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know that that's true. I'm just saying it's right. an option. <laughs> yeah. 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 And just because, you know, channel, uh, channelopathy or whatever it is can explain some of them. That doesn't mean that everyone who's had that experience has channel up. Right. You know, exactly. I mean, yep. it's play a possible explanation for some of them, yeah. which yeah. I think is exactly how you put it on the show at the time. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I, I mean, think like, ex- oh, well, let me just say quickly, I think experiencers probably have the same percentage as UFO reports, which is like probably 90 something percent are identifiable and explainable, but there's still the percentage that aren't. So yeah. I think that it's snugly in with that. I was just going to mention that there's also to throw not a wrench in there, but the idea of, uh, elf shot, uh, which could very well be, I forget what was iron something that you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. but there is like, it, it does, there is a, uh, you know, a precedent prior to implants, uh, of something very similar to this. Again, Josh Kutchin isn't here, so he doesn't, right, I don't know the right. details. Huh. So, so, okay. so elf shot, yeah, elf shot, which essentially it's, it was this names. They were these little, uh, I think they were like flint or, um, uh, uh, stone or some sort of metal that, you know, uh, would be found in, uh, people and cattle. Uh, and it was thought that elves had shot you with their bow and arrow or something. Ah, like okay. That. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I think um, it's something like that. You also talk about the scoop marks and how those can be formed by, uh, cysts or fatty deposits collapsing under the skin. Mm. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a doctor by the way, folks. <laughs> no, you, but you've had people on the show who knew about this stuff. And I think in this case, right. Jeff talked to a, uh, a dermatologist about it. Yeah. Well, I just think again, I, I think like, when we're talking about um, something that is so highly improbable uh, as a alien abductions or whatever words you want to use, obviously experiencer or whatever, um, that really that phenomenon should be the last thing. Like we, I think we've gotten lazy, you know, where it's just like, oh, I had a dream. I had a something happen and therefore I'm an experiencer. And it's like, shouldn't you try to rule out everything first? Sure. So I just think it's good to rule these things out and then if you're left with something that is anomalous, then there you go. Although that said, wouldn't it be interesting if you're not an experiencer and you think you are, and just through the sheer power of, of believing that you are, 
again, the universe just starts treating you like one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's see if you remember this, because this might've been my favorite moment of all of Paratopia. Uh, it was one of the times Jeff was getting ready to quit <laughs> and, uh, Michael Sala put up a photo, uh, for an upcoming conference saying it was like a eight foot high <laughs> alien. <laughs> and it was literally just a guy standing by a small bush. Yeah. Right. So exopolitics, for, baby. Yeah. First of all, Jeff's response was sheer dumbfoundedness, followed by him just saying, it's a guy. <laughs> and I have never heard you laugh so hard in my life. Because <laughs> it is. It's so simple. It's like, like was, how dumb. Did he even have a mask or anything? Or was, because I think you said he looked like Randy Quaid or something. Uh, no, it was just a big box next to a bush, you know? And did, did, did he continue to try and sell this as an actual alien for a little bit? Because he had whoever the, you know, scientist beep, boop, boop, beep guy that was going to, uh, validate this for us. Uh, so, I, but I don't think it really gained any traction because it was just a guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's a giant thing? in an Aloha shirt. Yeah. Great. <laughs> you were talking about him at where, where did he get the clothes? Yeah. <laughs> I just. The lengths we will go to, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I think Jeff was pretty much saying, this is why I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> Although technically Michael Sal is the reason that I ever came to Hawaii. Really? So I should thank him. For that. Oh, wow. Because, uh, it was Ted Rowe of NARCAP, uh, who is a free diver who swims with dolphins all the time. And Michael Sala and his wife, uh, were selling like hundreds of dollars packages. Like you come here and we'll psychically call in the dolphins. And Ted Rowe is like, uh, no, they just show up. They feed, they swim around. You come with me. I'll bring you up for free. And, uh, I'll show you that you don't need to psychically call them in. This is garbage. <laughs> and so I took him up on the offer and I came out here and, uh, sure enough, lo and behold, Ted Rowe was right. We didn't have to do anything psychic and there were dolphins. Maybe, maybe you were doing it subconsciously. Could be. All I know is it was free. <laughs> that is I the was most happy with that. Yeah. Right. Um, one of the shows I just listened to, you guys are talking about how both of you were feeling weird and you were wondering if it was connected to solar flares because there was some pretty heavy solar activity at the time. Yeah. Um, are you aware of Robert Schock's research on this? Nope. I know. I know his pyramid stuff, but not this. So he did a, a book. I think it's called the parapsychological revolution. And yeah. one of the things he looked at is the accuracy of laboratory tests of psychic abilities and their correlation to solar activity. And he found that during higher solar activity, laboratory tests with psychics were much more accurate than during low so solar activity. So even throwing in, you know, the, some of these are probably not good or whatever. There was a high enough percentage to say that something happens to us during high solar activity that enhances these abilities. Huh. And he went back to the beginning of scientific research with this. So his conclusion was, look, there's either a connection here or there is some kind of uh, conspiracy that has existed throughout the history of psi research to only get good results when there's high solar activity. Hmm. I think Persinger did something similar to this too. I feel like there was something where there was like a CIA, unless this is a complete hoax, but I don't know why somebody would hoax that Persinger did it, but it was Persinger. It's like in the eighties did something uh, with the CIA uh, for some psychology department, basically about this. It was about uh, 
certain like geomagnetic um, forces and uh, telepathic like uh, psi um, and precog yeah. abilities. I'll have to find that. But yeah. So I mean, you guys, I think we're on, we're on the mark when you were suggesting that the solar flares were affecting you and yeah. probably affecting yep. everyone. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing that. I haven't really shined too much light on, as it were, is the sun. Um, so part of that oneness exploding universe thing, um, one of the things that I experienced was being a sun or being a star. Mm-hmm. And so I can't not know about that, <laughs> that stars are conscious, like as, as, as new yeah. age and woo-woo as it sounds, who cares, yeah. um, that stars are conscious and uh, happy to give life to the nearest rock that can take it in communication with each other in some, you know, uh, psychic way, but that sounds a little too small, um, <laughs> but that they're all interconnecting and aware of each other. And so it just makes sense to me that because that's true, that so things that we look at like at like solar flares or explosions in the sun are actually communication, that they're actually sending information to Earth, not mm. just some weird explosion that we must block out, but actually, no, <laughs> Earth needs that. And we are Earth, too, so mm. it probably directly affects us, too. Um, and yeah. maybe if we know how to read that information, even more so for those who do. You know. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. We have time maybe for one more thing here. Uh, let's go with, uh, the UFO and abduction connection. Uh, this is something before I started doing this show, I had started thinking about, and I think Streber, I forget which book it's in. It's the one they redid for supernatural. They redid for supernatural. He took took the stories out of supernatural in supernatural out of the book before it. Um, Oh, was that transfer? No, 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 no. It's, uh, it was way later than that. Secret school breakthrough solving the community, I think. Oh, solving community. Okay. Um, and so he had mentioned a case in there, uh, which ties into his later work where, uh, they saw a light in the sky. The family did. And then their son came downstairs and said he was just visited by their dead son. Right. Yep. And this all kind of happened concurrently. And I thought, but that doesn't mean they're connected. That means that maybe there's a similar thing that, that caused the light and also allowed the kid to see his dead brother. And you guys kind of get into that a little bit independently on the show saying there may not be a direct connection between UFO sightings and abductions or experiences. Uh, okay. You don't remember, do you? <laughs> no, this one I don't remember. Um, because you, you, I, I th- it might've been Jeff who, who threw it out there and said that, you know, he's not convinced that uh, UFOs and experiencers are, you know, necessarily connected. Well, what do you make of that? Well, like, like I said, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that they're not just caused by a similar thing. Like, so, uh, a a type of energy, you know, maybe coming from the sun, maybe coming from, you know, the ground. I think there's a lot of different factors that enable these odd experiences. So the same energy that may create a ball of light may also allow someone to have a psychic experience. Right. Right. Um, You know, whereas a lot of times people would say, well, I saw a light and then I encountered a creature. The creature must have come from the light. I see what you're saying. So was that the con was the context of it that that not all UFO phenomena is the same phenomenon and therefore it's not all connected to experiences? No. No, but that's also true. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's another point that I think people miss that there's a lot of different things going on. There's no one answer to this stuff. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about UFOs, ghosts, Bigfoot monsters, whatever there, there's a number of different factors at play with that may produce similar phenomena, or at least what we perceive as similar phenomena. Yeah. 
that's always I always go back to my uh, analogy of the ecosystem. You know that there's like if there's the the supernatural or unknown ecosystem, I I would from what I would imagine and from the, the bit that I have sort of gleaned through research, you, you know, or speculative research, because it's all about supernatural, uh, that there is, um, you know, that you have an ecosystem and that there could be many things that sort of, you know, you see something in the sky, it could be a bird or it could be a cloud, could be a plane at this point, you know, could or it be could blue, be a, a, a could other be that looks like a plane. Right. But all those things are flying. So, you know, if you see something in the sky, it could be numerous things that are, you know, uh, causing that or have an experience, so on and so forth. Well, here's a question for both of you um, that might shed some light on this, maybe. Uh, do you think that experiences, do you think that just anyone ha can have an experience? Like, do you believe in, um, I don't know, that the people that it's for you, that it's personal for you, whether you share it with people or talk about it in a podcast, that ultimately it's for you in your own uh, personal journey, as it were. Um, mm. Or do you think that it is just like some cold random thing or like an intelligence doing experiments and stuff? Um, because I, if I, it's for you, then I, I don't know. It just it it seems like there is going to be a difference. There is going to be something that is, um, I don't know, unex unexplainable in the sky. Um, with the UFO thing that only yeah, you're going to see, and, and, you know, yeah. and maybe not even the person next to you. <laughs> We've right. So no, that's had those an excellent question. I, I think that, the, that it's both. I think there are yeah. elements of this that are just personal, but I also think there are odd things that we don't know how to explain that are not personal. And so I think yeah. when someone has like one experience in their life where they saw a weird light in the sky, that was a non-personal thing that didn't, that didn't uh, affect them on a deeper level other than maybe making them realize, Hey, there's more than what we understand out there versus, you, you know, having a series of experiences that, you know, in the long run change you as a person. And I think there's also the possibility. I mean, I agree with that, but I think there's also, since there's such a variety of these type of experiences, I think that there's, you know, there could be, it could be some of both too. Like sometimes maybe it is you, what you're seeing is, yeah, some mechanical byproduct of something that really has nothing to do with you, but the experience of that causes a significant change in you. And then maybe sometimes you're seeing, I don't know, an emanation from the ascended masters, you know, trying to guide you or whatever it might be. Um, and it could be both. And, you know, uh, you could have a variety of different permutations of that too. And, uh, the, the book Illuminations by is it Peter Willett, I can never remember his first name, uh, talks about the idea of UFO flaps as mass poltergeist events. So in a sense, then that is that is personal on a different level. Mm -hmm. Well, do you think that there are, uh, per okay, so if we believe that there are things that are there that are personal for you, and then there are things that are like flaps or like one-off events that gain mass traction or like even a Whitley Strieber who gains mass traction. So you think it's fair to say that there are certain events that are to keep this in the social mind to keep the oh, phenomenon yeah. at the forefront of our, you know, even talking about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, I think it needs attention. So mm. does that sound like aliens to you? No, not particularly. <laughs> Just wondering. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't sounded like aliens to me for a very long time. I know, but isn't it weird how like, 
the things that we're talking about are like, I think, how this tends to actually work. And you know that through talking to experiencers, as opposed to the hypothetical stuff that people take to be reality that seems to not reflect when you actually talk to experiencers. And I I wonder why one is, again, I know I get that I guess it's the lowest common denominator baby food that you can feed people. But I mean, at some point, don't they turn around and grow up and become adults and go, wait a minute. This isn't Some what these people are talking about at all. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. the thing that broke, the thing that did it for me was, uh, um, yep. Kenneth Ring's book, Omega project, where he found that the after effects of experiencers and the after effects of people having near death experiences were very, very similar. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. What does dying have to do with being abducted by aliens? And that's where my brain went, okay, we need to rethink this. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, we need to, I think the, the part that also, one part that's confusing is what we were talking about just a second ago. Like, okay, there seem to be different things going on, but there also seems to be something that appears to be different things. But if you look, like, it's Same. really not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so is that thing emulating these other things or is it, are they all one thing? I, I think I, that's, I think we have to take, take into account how we perceive things too. And the faces we put on them. Yeah. So it can be a different thing, but we're putting the same face on it. Cause that's all we know. Yeah. We're also out of time. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's continue this in a Patreon. Cause there's still a few more things I wanted to poke at you about Jeremy. Okay. okay. All right. All right. So thank you guys. Jeremy, where can people find you? Uh, I don't know. How about our undoing.com? That's my okay. website. And, uh, you'll get all the spiritual crap, but then if you go hunting, you'll find all the Paratopia stuff too. And, uh, your books are available on Amazon. Yes. All right. Are your documentaries available anywhere? No, I actually just for the first time put a link to my books and my documentary on my, on our undoing.com. So you know, if you, if you oh, want cool. it, uh, you can write to me and I'll send it to you, but there's no way for me to really sell a DVD online anymore that I can find. Like you used to be able to do it through Amazon. They don't accept DVDs anymore. So really, no, they don't, yeah. they don't No, nope. I couldn't even attach it to the streaming stuff that, that that's on there. Yeah. All right. Hey, Chris, it. people can find you where? Yes. Well, you can go to prime if you want to stream some of uh, my films or you can go to trauma now, or you can go to brightrectangle.com. All right. Thank you both. I want to take a moment here to give a shout out to all of my Patreons because of you, this show continues to be possible. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, CJ, Greg Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Janet Shaw Bins, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K, MJ Armstrong, Mark Bowley, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Seed Person 1, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, 
Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, a crocodile, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. All right, there's a lengthy Patreon, surprise, surprise, for this conversation uh, where I ask Jeremy more stuff about uh, his time with Jeff on Paratopia. So if you're a patron, uh, you'll be getting that later this week. Uh, and it's only $3 a month to become a patron. So if you want to help us out, and it does help us out greatly, Go subscribe, and uh, you'll get extra content every week, pretty much. Uh, Sometimes more than once. All right, I'm going to take you out with a song from a local band called The Burned Out Sons. I don't think I've ever played them on here before. Maybe I did. Um, We're going to hear a track called Off and in the Stars. And uh, this comes off of their record, which is Up from the Ashes, that came out in 2020. And uh, here you go. I'll see you next time.
have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.